Today on Understanding Immigration, Asylum Abuse. You hit the nail on the head where we see that a lot of these asylum-seeking aliens are really just looking for a better life in the U.S. And that's not wrong, but that's not what asylum is for. Asylum claims in the United States have gone through the roof in the past 10 to 15 years. In fact, since 2013, the number of foreign nationals claiming credible fear when they arrive to the United States has risen by 2,000%. And this is just a disaster across the entire board. I mean, now you're losing track of unvetted people. Uh, people aren't showing up for their court hearings. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIRS Understand immigration podcast welcome back to another episode of fairs understanding immigration podcast this is preston hennikins from fairs government relations department today i'm joined by fairs research director spencer raley and matthew tragister from our press team for those listening for the first time this is a podcast designed to educate listeners on a wide array of important and high profile topics on immigration in the united states we do our best to simplify complex immigration topics into plain terms. Today, we'll dive into a topic that has become increasingly more important since 2017, the issue of asylum and the asylum process in the United States. We'll go over how asylum has changed over time and what can possibly be done to reform it. Spencer, I wanna go ahead and just start with you. How has asylum changed over the years? And could you just explain to our listeners what asylum is? Yeah, absolutely, Preston. Really, the both refugee and asylum programs are, you know, the issue as a whole, have been around for hundreds of years, but they really didn't begin to take form as a program or as a major issue until after World War II, you know, when there were large numbers of, of people who were displaced and were fleeing countries due to persecution and other things. And since asylees and refugees are largely similar, with just a couple of important distinctions, it's kind of important to understand what constitutes a refugee or what constitutes an asylee. And really kind of the first official definition you have of that goes to the 1951 convention relating to the status of refugees. And that defined a refugee as a person who fled their country due to one of a number of criteria uh, that constituted fear of persecution on a uh, protected ground. And those protected grounds included race, nationality, religion, political opinion, or if they were a member of a particular social group that was uh, being heavily persecuted as well. And the difference between a refugee and an asylee uh, often comes down to policy in, in a particular country. So for us in the United States, it goes back to Section 1158 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, which identified an asylee as a person who meets the definition of a refugee, first of all, but is already present in the United States or seeking admission at a port of entry. An asylee must also apply within one year of entering the United States and demonstrate that they have a credible fear of persecution from their home country. So you can't just come to the United States and say, uh, you know, something bad happened to me in my old country, or I feel like I was persecuted, or you can't get caught as an illegal alien after, you know, there's a there's a provable period of greater than a year that you've been in the country and say, oh, wait, I was, you know, I was persecuted, therefore I want to apply for asylum. So there are some criteria that had to be met there. And honestly, the United States is proud to have helped more refugees and asylees than any other country in the world. It's, uh, we have a, a very proud heritage of doing that, but unfortunately, bad policy writing has led to 
really numerous loopholes that can be used by those who don't meet the refugee or asylum criteria to enter the United States fraudulently, or they're intentionally trying to abuse the program just to get into the United States. One of the first major uh, loopholes was developed out of something called the Flores Settlement in 1997. And honestly, we could talk about, we could probably make our own podcast just focusing on the Flores Settlement, its history, uh, what, you know, what, what it was intended to do, uh, what it was kind of morphed into. But for purposes of this podcast, probably the most important thing we need to know about that is that it limited the time the United States could detain minors to only 20 days. And in 2015, a California court actually expanded this to include children accompanied by family members. Another, another uh, a major issue that occurred uh, a number of years later in 2008 was the implementation of the William Wilberforce Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act, also commonly called the TVPRA. And what that did is it required that unaccompanied alien minors from Central America be released into the country of the Office of Refugee Resettlement within 72 hours. And again, this was, both of these were largely uh, well-intentioned with the exception of a few people who knew what they were doing when they kind of, uh, you know, helped draft these, uh, these laws and regulations in order to insert some loopholes. But it, it intentionally was designed to protect alien minors who come to the United States from potentially falling into the hands of human traffickers. What it ended up doing was creating an incentive for minor children, for parents to send minor children into the United States because they know they'll be released into the country. Uh, and oftentimes they'll be released to sponsors who may be illegal aliens themselves. There's nothing in the statute to keep that from happening. So that kind of created a incentive process in and of itself. And one more thing I want to highlight was in 2013, the Obama administration actually broadened the grounds for asylum when they directed immigration courts to begin classifying things like domestic violence and gang crimes as forms of persecution. And again, while that's a, those are very unfortunate circumstances, they don't necessarily meet the criteria of a refugee or an asylum seeker. So again, as a result of these often well-intentioned but poorly written statutes, Asylum claims in the United States have gone through the roof in the past 10 to 15 years. In fact, since 2013, the number of, of foreign nationals claiming credible fear when they arrived to the United States has risen by 2,000%. And it's estimated that only about uh, 10, anywhere from like 10 to 15% of these claims are approved or even have an initial, an initial claim of credible fear on them as well. And of course, illegal aliens have utilized these loopholes to have their families released into the country. And when you combine that with the fact that our immigration court is backlogged to the tune of over a million cases, this often gives them a years-long head start to kind of assimilate and disappear into the country and then not show up for their court dates when they finally appear years down the road. Yeah, and that's, that's a fantastic rundown of really what has happened you know, over the past, you know, 20, 30 years and how it has changed, you know, the composition of people coming to the U.S. Um, looking to just get in. And so, you know, Matthew Spencer brought up these, these great points about how it's changed. And I wanted maybe you to go over for our listeners what has happened since the huge surge at the border in 2019 when CBP apprehended 
you know, almost 1 million aliens at the border. Just kind of run us through that and, and what has happened since then. Right. So 2019 was a year to remember at the southern border. I mean, it was the highest year in annual apprehensions in roughly a decade. And, and I can just remember month or May as a month in itself where roughly 144,000 migrants were apprehended at the southern border. And if you think about that, that's like a, a size of a, a small city show, showing up at your border, like Savannah, Georgia, or Syracuse, New York. And as Spencer mentioned, a large part of why there were such surges, even after President Trump got elected, was there was a huge change to our asylum law in 2015, so that if you came to the U.S.-Mexico border and applied for asylum and you had a child with you, you could essentially get an immediate release into our country. And as Spencer also pointed out, because of our huge backlog of asylum court cases, they stand at more than a million now. Uh, some of these people weren't getting a court decision, a court hearing date until a year or two later. And by that point, they're long gone. I mean, if they know that they don't have a credible asylum claim, why would they show up for their hearing to get deported? And to put this in a better perspective, only 11% of asylum claims were approved last year of all asylum seekers. So it goes to show you that the vast majority aren't qualified. And when you look at the reasons why they're coming, it's one, because they want to seek better economic opportunities. And a poll last year of Guatemalan migrants found that 91%, 91% admitted coming to the US for better wages. And also because of the change to the floor settlement by a, an activist judge in California who said, if you have a child with you, you're basically gonna get immediate release into the country. And this is just a disaster across the entire board. I mean, now you're losing track of unvetted people. Uh, people aren't showing up for their court hearings. In fact, uh, DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, did a kind of like a pilot program and, and to determine who was actually showing up for their court hearings. And they found out that 90% were not showing up. And it was getting this loophole was just being spread through, all throughout Central America. And it was a huge problem for the, the border, especially in 2019. So... The U.S. had to stop this very quickly because it was just getting out of control. It was making President Trump look bad when he made this a core issue of his. So they did a, a, a few different approaches. The first was they negotiated uh, safe third country agreements with the Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, where the vast majority of asylum seekers were coming. So now what these agreements made, or what they suggested was that anyone who was any migrant that was passing through these countries would have to apply for asylum in those countries before they could apply for asylum here. So if a migrant decided to pass through El Salvador and uh, Honduras, and then they came to the U.S., but they didn't apply for asylum in those first two countries, they could be sent back there. Then the migrant protection protocols, and these were implemented in January of 2019, and the administration made migrants who wanted to seek asylum in the U.S. to wait in Mexico until their immigration court hearing appeared in the US. So this ended the whole phenomenon of catch and release where if you brought a child with you, you'd be released into the interior of the country and never be seen again. Instead of that, you'd have to wait in Mexico in the Northern part usually until your court hearing arrived in let's say about a year or so. And that program proved to be extremely effective. 60,000 people were returned to Mexico in just a, a short time. And of course, you know, even the border wall, People don't really see it as an effective strategy, but the administration has built more than 200 new miles of border wall. They're planning on building 450 miles, and that just deters people from coming to the country and crossing illegally, um, and it makes people funnel into ports of entries. And so, you know, opponents will say, hey, you know what? All these measures were inhumane, and you have to take in people who are looking for better economic opportunities. 
But the fact of the matter is the U.S. asylum system was not built to simply give people better opportunities. It was built for people being persecuted by the governments and they'd be persecuted based on their race, their religion, their political opinion, um, nationality or membership to a particular social group. And so, again, it was not built for economic migrants seeking better wages. And, you know, you had to have some type of control to make sure that you keep the integrity of the system intact and not just let any single person saying, well, I want a better job or I want a better uh, life. You know, unfortunately, most people would come here if we allowed that. And so, yeah, it was a, a multifaceted approach. Uh, and I think, you know, you can see if you look at the monthly apprehension totals now, they have decreased significantly from last year. And a large part also is due to coronavirus. And we've implemented other border restrictions, but also the U.S.'s response um, to deter migrants with uh, fraudulent asylum claims. But, you know, let me ask you, Preston, because a lot of these initiatives are, you know, they're not done through Congress. They're not official laws for the long term. They're kind of temporary measures. And if Biden gets elected, these could be wiped out almost instantly. So has Congress worked to better address our asylum system and to you know, curb these abuses that have been happening? And if so, you know, what, what have they been doing, I guess, in, in the uh, past couple of years? Yeah, you know, they really haven't done a whole lot. And this kind of just reflects a general trend when it comes to Congress and immigration is that Congress, no matter who's in charge and no matter who the president is, is more than willing to pretty much just let the president and the executive branch handle immigration. And, you know, there will be a few huge, sweeping, comprehensive immigration reform packages that come, you know, every five years. But, you know, they're never enacted for a variety because they're trying to do too much at one time. Um, and so, like you said, everything that the Trump administration has done to curb asylum abuse is going to be immediately rescinded on day one of the Joe Biden presidency if that happens. There are a few bills that have been introduced that would kind of tinker with certain parts of our asylum process. And I think that's the way that it should be. You know, I don't think that we should have to horse trade for tweaks to a, a process that is clearly being abused, that's clearly, you know, not working the way that it's supposed to work kind of the most narrowly tailored bills out there um, is from Senator Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma. Um, and this is the Asylum Abuse Reduction Act. And this bill only does three things. The first is that it requires asylum officers to conduct um, those credible fear screenings before they admit people into the U.S. So if someone comes in through the port of entry, what normally happens today is that they're brought physically into the United States you know, they're detained, what have you. Um, and then it could be a few days before they ever go through the credible fear screening. This bill would ensure that, you know, there are staff at the ports of entry who can quickly, um, you know, go through those interviews. And, you know, they're not rushing them, but they're, they're doing them there so they can either say, no, this doesn't really pass the, the credible fear screen, so we can't let you in the U.S., or they say, yes, you know, there is a process for you and that process can begin, you know, sooner as opposed to later. Um, the second thing that this bill does is that it establishes an alternatives uh, to detention pilot program, um, which is something that, you know, a lot of immigration activists, you know, maybe on the other side from where FAIR stands have long asked for and saying, you know, you shouldn't be detaining uh, people that are seeking asylum. And, and this bill says, you know, great. 
we will we can establish a separate process for that for people who are actually passing the credible fear when they come in the U.S. Um, and so this is kind of you know an olive branch to that side to say hey let's let's work together on establishing something here to narrowly tweak our asylum process. And then finally, the third and most important part of this bill is it clarifies that aliens who have who have traveled through other countries on their way to the United States are not eligible for asylum in the U.S. It's the third country principle. It's something that the Trump administration has negotiated, you know, obviously temporarily, like you brought up, Matthew, with other countries. But all of those agreements are probably going to go away on day one. So what this would what this bill would do, it would codify in law that essentially unless you are if you're traveling on land from Mexico or Canada, you can have you know, you can apply for asylum, which is how asylum works. It reflects international law that way. So we wouldn't have people traveling hundreds and and even th- you know thousands of miles crossing multiple borders just to get to the U.S. to make a credible to make a, a an asylum claim. And I think that's a really important tool that would fix a lot of this, um, and it would give the U.S. you know an easier easier way to say no. You know, you were able to apply for asylum in these other countries and you chose to come here for a variety of reasons. I think Matthew, you hit the nail on the head where we see that a lot of these asylum seeking aliens are really just looking for a better life in the U S and that's, you know, that's not wrong. Um, but that's not what asylum is for. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, the next, you know, my next point is, um, that Congress needs to look into is reevaluating how we determine credible fear. Um, you know, like like was brought up earlier, it's it's race, religion, nationality, political opinion, and then membership in a particular social group. And that has been interpreted by immigration judges. Um, it's been to- it's been tortured by immigration lawyers to be a catch all category that just pretty much means, you know, if you're scared of domestic crime rates or you're scared of, you know, criminal gangs in your home country, that's kind of the catch-all group that we've used to admit people into the United States. And that's not what asylum is for. Um, if that were the case, then there would be scores of countries that would be that would qualify for all of their nationals would qualify for asylum. Um, and so that's really something that, again, Congress has to stop ceding their authority on this issue to the president. Yeah, it's a really good point and something I wanted to draw on a little bit there, Preston, was just focusing a little bit more on, you know, the the safe third country rule. Asylum was never intended really by any country, at least initially, to be this kind of system where someone can look and say, okay, I have, you know, even if it's even if it's a credible claim, you know, I've gone through severe persecution for my religion, my race, or one of the other protected classes. It was not intended that they could sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to shop what country I want to move to. The understanding was there was very likely they needed to leave the country quickly, go to the first safe place they could, and at that point, figure out what their next move is. Do I need to legally try to migrate to a different country? Do I need to you know, attempt to come up with a game plan to reconcile with the country where I came from? It wasn't intended to be this essentially blank 
immigration visa to anywhere you want to go in the world. And unfortunately, that's largely what it has been turned into. And one of the reasons I think that it's being uh, abused the way it is today is it's extremely enticing for someone to say, hey, I can essentially use this claim to go to whatever the best country is on earth right now. You know, the United States has a very strong economy. Uh, even during COVID-19, if you compare uh, what the United States economy is compared to a lot of other countries, it's very desirable. So it's very important that that aspect is, is very clear and that any reform that happens in the United States clears that up. And to go off of your point, Spencer, there was a, a Gallup poll in 2018 that said the vast majority of the world's population, um, and they calculated to be 750 million people in this survey, would migrate to the United States if they could. So it goes to show you that, that hundreds of millions of people want to come here, and, and they, if they could, they would. And without having a, a proper asylum system, you're going to have these surges showing up at the U.S.-Mexico border like you did in 2019. And that's just simply unsustainable for the country. I mean, it's just way too high of a number. And you've got to have some kind of standards, some kind of qualification to allow people to come to your country, especially under this particular immigration system. Right. And no one is saying that we should get rid of our humanitarian options when it comes to immigration. I don't think any credible organization has ever said that or any person that's normal. You know, we, the United States does have some obligation to our neighbors to provide asylum when they really need it. You know, when, when a country is collapsing and massacring its citizens, there's no one who's saying we shouldn't let people fleeing into the country temporarily. But what we're seeing with asylum now is not that at all. It's, it's just people who want to come for a better life and they have found the easiest way to do it is by claiming they're being persecuted by gangs or, you know, for any number of reasons um, from countries as far away as Guatemala and El Salvador and Honduras. And again, I, I think we're all kind of in agreement here is that that is not the purpose of asylum. No other country in the world has an asylum system that works that way. And I think, like Matthew said, it's unsustainable. Um, if this doesn't change, it's every every season is going to look like 2019. Every time that it's it's not too warm and not too cold, you know, in the Arizona desert for people to cross the border, they're going to come. They're going to claim asylum and they're going to remain in the country, whether or not an immigration judge finds their asylum claim worthy or not. Right. And also, I, I'm sure you guys saw the news recently, a uh, D.C. district court actually overturned the uh, safe third country rule um, that I was talking about previously or earlier in the episode. And you know, this was just shocking because not only was this a Trump appointed judge, but it also just undermined the entire rule of law. And so, you know, again, this was one of the key tools that the Trump administration used to help curb these huge uh, meritless asylum waves. And now, you know, now that this district court overturned that rule, I mean, who knows? It, it could be we could see once Corona restrictions are let up, you know, it, it could be we could see what we saw in 2019 at the border. You know, that's a that's a really good point, Matthew. And honestly, I don't think like Preston mentioned, I don't think anyone really wants to try to get rid of the asylum program as it is. You know, again, the United States has a very proud history of helping those in need and helping those in other countries that are oppressed to find freedom in the United States. We 
every year take in tens of thousands of refugees and asylees into into our country. And really what what just really troubles me is the fact that so many others trying to usurp that system ends up making it harder for those who actually need to come, you know, who actually need asylum in the United States, you know, need to apply for refugee status in the United States. It makes it just that much more difficult for them to get their court case heard in a reasonable time period. That way their life can go, you know, regain some sense of normalcy. So honestly, this is, uh, this is an issue where we're trying to, the best of our abilities anyway, go back to serving those who need our help. And a lot of the changes that we discussed here, I think will actually make our asylum system more efficient so that we can actually help more people who actually need help versus spending the lion's share of our time sorting through uh, fraudulent or false claims. And Spencer, I think that hits the nail on the head. Uh, and I think that's, you know, as, as good a place as any um, to wrap up today's podcast. So uh, for everyone listening, I hope that you've learned a bit more about this fascinating topic. Uh, asylum is certainly not an issue that's going away anytime soon. And definitely continue monitoring what FAIR is putting out about this, because uh, it is such an important part of the immigration debate today. As a reminder, we're going to be releasing a new episode every other Monday. Please recommend Understanding Immigration to your friends by sharing this podcast on Facebook or Twitter. Episodes are available on most platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also visit our website, fairus.org, and our Twitter handle, at Fair Immigration, to access episodes. We hope that everyone is continuing to stay safe during these unpredictable times. And until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration presented by FAIR.